Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. You are very welcome to the Big Red Bench here on Cork's Red FM. This is Sarah McKenzie Foley. I'll be with you for the next hour and there is a great show to come for you this evening. We're going to be looking back at Ireland's 1-0 loss to the Netherlands yesterday. Is it one of the last times we'll see Stephen Kenny as Ireland manager? Only time will tell on that one. We've got loads more besides, but before that, we'll get you a full roundup of all of the day's sport. Let's get into it. Starting off with Gaelic Games and extra time was needed to decide the AIB Munster Club Intermediate Hurling Championship semi-final this afternoon. Castle Lions prevailed in extra time, scoring two goals and 22 points against Crotta's two goals and 18 points. And meanwhile, Sarsfields are into the Munster Camogie final after beating Newcastle West by one point. There was a very dramatic finish to the FAI Women's Cup final today at the Talla Stadium. Athlone Town were up against defending champions Shelburne in that game, which was also a repeat of the 2022 final. And this one went right down to the wire, but Athlone Town won the penalty shootout by three goals to two and ultimately prevented back-to-back cup wins for Shelburne. Staying with women's football and in the WSL, Arsenal have closed the gap on Chelsea at the top of the table this afternoon with a 3-0 win against Brighton. Meanwhile, in the day's early game between Everton and Bristol City, it finished 2-all and that result sees Bristol lift themselves off the bottom of the WSL table. Elsewhere, Leicester City played out a one-all draw against Tottenham and Aston Villa won 3-2 against West Ham. The Manchester Derby is finishing off the day's WSL action with United playing host to City. That current game is currently well into the second half and the score is 3-1 to City. Moving on to basketball, in the insuremyvan.ie Super League, UCC Demons were against Mike Cullen this afternoon. The full-time score in that game saw Mike Cullen win by 87 points to 78 in golf now and Shane Lowry finished up best of the Irish at the season ending DP World Tour Championship in Dubai today an impressive 5 under par final round of 67 put him in a tie for 18th place Rory Rory McIlroy finished on 10 under par with Tom McKibben at 7 under Nikolai Hoygaard won the top prize by 2 shots on 21 under par Max Verstappen was victorious at the Las Vegas Grand Prix early this morning. Ferrari's Charles Leclerc had started the race from pole but was unable to convert the position to a win. He finished in P2 with Sergio Perez in third. Finally, in tennis, Novak Djokovic goes for a record seventh ATP finals title in Turin this evening. He is taking on home favourite Yannick Sinner in the season-ending showpiece and I'll get you an updated score on that match very shortly. Here is what the world number one had to say before the game. I know what to what to expect and I think having already a match against him and this kind of atmosphere helps me prepare better. Thrilled with the season, uh, but you know, one more match to go so hopefully I can crown the season with another win. Let's start off now with that Republic of Ireland game last night, shall we? And Stephen Kenny's men finished their Euro 2024 qualifying campaign with a 1-0 loss to the Netherlands. And ultimately, the Dutch team's place in next year's Euros is now safe thanks to that win. Ireland will turn their attention to their friendly with New Zealand on Tuesday night, which is at home in the Aviva Stadium. And it's looking likely that that match could be Kenny's last game in charge as his contract runs out after the game. And after last night's game, off the ball, Stephen Doyle spoke to Cork's Adam Ida. Adam, how are you feeling about the, the goal that wasn't? You were so close. No, it was just tough. I think um, as I was throwing goal, I, I did think I was offside, but the line on everybody up the flag, so I thought I'd try and go through. And fortunately enough, the, the keeper let the, the ball through his legs, and I did think it was a goal at the time, but obviously when they watched it back it wasn't so it's, it's a tough one Do you take anything from the fact that you're up against a Dutch team with a lot of quality and although you do get a defeat it's only about the, the one goal 
No, look, we're playing against uh, one of the best teams in the world uh, and we're going toe-to-toe with them, I think. <coughs> it's a credit to us. Obviously, it's it's difficult with the results we're getting, but I think people forget um, we're still still a young side, we're still new. Um, and when we're playing against teams like France and, and Holland, it's it's a credit to the lads, the way they, they perform against them. And um, hopefully this experience throughout this campaign will um, give us a bit more in the next one. Yeah, because it has been disappointing. Six points on the table at the end of the campaign, both uh, wins against Gibraltar. How do you feel about it in general? No, look, it is disappointing. Um, obviously, our goal at the end of the day is to try and qualify for, for these tournaments, and it, it is tough to take. But like I said, we're playing against the best teams, and we, we do want to play against them. But um, if we want to qualify, that's when we need to get the results against them big teams. And just the general feeling does seem to be that this could have been Stephen Kenny's last competitive game in charge. Would you be disappointed if he was to move on after this particular window? Yeah, 100%. I think uh, obviously Stephen's been great to me. I went in with him in the other 21s, um, played the 21s with him, and he's given me my debut, a young boy's dream come through. So obviously it's, it would be disappointing if he did go, but at the end of the day, we're a team. Um, We've got no doubts that he'll he'll be here in the next campaign and we stick together. Yeah, so Adam Ida giving his vote of confidence to Stephen Kenny there. Let's hear now from Jason Knight on what he made of the game. Okay, yeah, Jason Knight. Um, I suppose it not not the worst result, a one 0 defeat to, to the Netherlands. But uh, what did you think of the Irish performance? Um, look, the lads gave everything. Um, gave everything out there. Worked really, really hard. Like I say, we, we probably just lacked a bit of creativity and a bit of a bit of a clinical edge to us. But it's it's going to be tough coming away to Holland. Is is no easy task. So um, look, like I say, it's it's disappointing. It's it's not the result we wanted, but we came here, gave everything. And, and hopefully we'll, we can turn it around in the, with the games coming up. The manager went with the back three, I suppose, to match the Dutch, but they did have the two midfielders sitting in front of their back three. They didn't really move. They were very well organised. Um, you just couldn't seem to break them down through the middle. Was there any reason then that you couldn't go wide? Well, no, I don't I don't think so. There was any, any one reason. They're a good team. They've got good players. We got into good, some good positions at times. We probably just... Probably just recycled the ball a bit too much um, because we were we were we were pressing and then getting the ball back and we we wanted just to control the game more. So I think um, we probably just like I say lacked that sort of that clinical edge to run at people and make things happen. Instead, we sort of just kept the ball for for large parts. But um, that's something we can look back on as players individually, myself as well, and um, as a collective, we, we sort of just lacked that bit of creativity, I suppose. Yeah, because I wonder what's that de- what's that down to? Is it the fact that you know there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of has that kind of punch to the opposition team There's, as you're saying you're recycling the ball trying to hold on possession is that a, an instruction from management or is it something maybe you think you need to learn to do better as players um, yeah probably as players we, we need to we need to analyse the game in in the moment and, and capitalise on that because when we, we look back on it there was definitely spaces to uh, to to go at the Dutch and then there were spaces down the sides if we sort of just opened up a bit more and, and trusted ourselves to play those balls those killer balls because we're, we're definitely capable of it we've got the players to do that as well we've got willing runners and, and I think that's where we where we are strong as well when we're, we're running at people so um, that was something to look back on it's, it's, it was a tough game for us tonight and um, we'll reflect on it and we'll go again Is it disappointing when you look back at the group now six points on the table from two matches against Gibraltar the Whitten boys of the group how disappointed are you with the performance overall? Yeah, it's, it's disappointing but it's definitely a tough group as well I think the games against Greece were the ones where we wanted to um, definitely be better. I think against Holland and France, we've equipped ourselves quite well. We just we just fell on the on the wrong side of results, but that's that's the quality they've got as well. But I think definitely the Greece games, we sort of we wanted to do better, and and we and we ultimately didn't. So that's the way it is. There seems to be a feeling that it is Stephen Kenny's last competitive match in charge of Ireland. So, as you, you as players, was it was there a kind of feeling that was hard to get motivated for these last couple of games? No, definitely not. This this is a huge honour playing for Ireland is is everything and it's the pinnacle of your career. So that's definitely not the case. Everyone was fully committed, and I think you've seen a fully committed performance in in energy and desire out there today. We just, like I say, we, we just need to find that that final part of the. The puzzle and that scoring goals creating chances more, but um, no, I definitely don't think that was the case. We were we were fully committed and wanted to get a good result today. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys.
certainly no lack of commitment from Jason Knight's point of view from his teammates and don't forget that the Ireland under-21s are coming to play here in Cork against Italy this coming Tuesday that's part of their qualifying efforts for the Euro 2025 competition and Italy are the group leaders so make sure you can get down there if you're able to and support uh, if possible there are still tickets for that game so you can go down there and support the team we're moving on now to Gaelic Games and Glamwire LGFA's Ellen Toomey and Ali McCarthy have been speaking to Ger McCarthy about their club's fantastic season. They've won a Cork Intermediate County title at the fourth time of asking and they've also claimed this year's Munster LGFA Intermediate Trophy. They're now heading to London for an All-Ireland Intermediate quarterfinal clash with Tyr Connell Gales. Let's hear from the girls. Now here on Cork's Red FM's Big Red Bench, we are delighted to be joined by two members of the 2023 Cork LGFA Intermediate County Champions and now the Munster Intermediate County Champions as they prepare for an All-Ireland quarterfinal meeting in London against Tyrconnell Gales, which takes place on Saturday, November the 25th. We are joined today by the captain of the Glanmire team, Ellen Toomey. Ellen, you're very welcome to the bench. Thanks for having us on, no problem. We're also joined by Ali McCarthy. Ali, how are you? Hi, Jerry. How are you? Good, thanks. Great, great, Dan. Thank you very much for taking time out of what's a very hectic schedule for the Glanmire uh, ladies football team at the moment. We'll talk very. We'll talk in a moment about the trip to London uh, and the excitement and everything around that. We'll talk about the monster success. But I'm going to start with you, Ellen, and I'm going to take you back, unfortunately, to three county final losses in a row. Losing to Clannacilty, losing to Valley Rovers, and then losing to Castlehaven on 25-metre kicks. Three intermediate county final losses in a row is an incredibly hard thing to take. One county final loss would be difficult for most, most sets of players. What happened this year, at the start of the year and as the year went on for Clanmire, to get to the intermediate final and to finally get over the line? Um, I suppose at the start of the year we kind of would have had a meeting like a players meeting at the start of the year and we kind of would have regrouped and we would have had the chat and we would have said look we need to give it our full commitment this year because we know that the intermediate county you don't win it easy and we need to give the full commitment so like we got new management on board this year they were willing to give it 110% which they have given throughout the whole year and like even the girls as well like some of the girls if we weren't as committed as what we were they probably would have been travelling for the summer and stuff like that whereas a lot of girls cut their holiday short so yeah I suppose losing the last three county finals it was something that obviously it was really hard to pick yourself back up again we always said that we would go again but we kind of turned the negative into a positive and we kind of took experience and hurt from those matches and it really stood to us this year and got us across the line and Ali, from your point of view, both, I'm, I'm talking to yourself, Ali McCarthy and Ellen Toomey, who were part of that 2018 Junior A County Champions, Munster Junior Champions and All-Ireland Junior Champions. So you know what it takes, and the two of you definitely know what it takes to get to the top of the top of the mountain. But the last three years, how difficult has that been for you uh, as part of this panel? And also, I suppose, how difficult have you seen, like losing three county finals? I just can't emphasize it enough. Coming back year after year, it sounds like a cliche. It's an incredibly difficult thing to do because this intermediate grade is not far off the senior grade. And for all those years, like yourselves involved, when you had experienced such success, did that make it all the more frustrating until you finally made the breakthrough? Yeah, I think there's two sides of it. I suppose we had we had felt that success before and when we didn't have that, the drive to want it again came back. But also, I, I don't think it was a question really for any of us whether we were coming back. We were coming back until we were going to win it. And like, there's a great group of girls and everyone has the same attitude and everyone's on board for each other. So it was just retrooping again. What can we change? What can we do better? And what sacrifices can we make? And luckily enough, it paid off this year. It certainly did. And it paid off because right from the start, I'm not even going to talk about the, the league campaign because I know you use that like to blood a lot of players and some people were coming in and out. But in the championship itself, you overcame Valley Rovers, Owen Dalla and Dunamore. Then in the semi-finals, you overcame Ross Carby. And then, Ali, sitting in front of you, back to MTU Cork for the fourth time in a row, well, for the fourth final in a row, but back to MTU Cork, standing in front of you are Neva Bond, who are a team that, like yourselves, a bit of a juggernaut, who had previously won the junior, who had previously won the Munster, and had gotten to an All-Ireland final, only just to come up short. This was, You couldn't have asked for a tougher challenge to win that intermediate. So going into the final, what was the mood like in the camp, Ali? Um, you know, because it's got to be preying on your mind if you lost the last three, and you're about to face a team who seemed to have a huge amount of momentum behind them. What was the feeling in the dressing room like and how? what was that feeling afterwards like when you finally got over the line? Yeah, well we definitely knew it was going to be a tough game, there was no doubt about that. 
a lot of nerves were lingering, but we just came together as a collective and said, like, there's no point being nervous here now. We need to give it our all or else nothing. And I suppose what we did know was our bench is incredible as well. So we knew that the starting 15 could give it their all and know that someone else would come on and replace them and, and there'd be no change to the tempo or the pace or the skill of the game. So that was a huge benefit this year that um, up from 1 to 30 odd, like everyone was so, so excellent. Um, the feeling at the final whistle for you, Ellen, very emotional thing because you're a captain. You're going to lift that cup after so many years of hurt. It must have been a lovely, lovely feeling. Yeah, I suppose when the final whistle blew, I just, I, I... I think I went a bit in home or something. I don't know what it was. Um, I suppose I would have known the girl I was marking, Lydia. So I said I'd have to go over and make sure she was okay. And then just wherever Lydia was on the pitch, I saw my mother. So I ran over and gave mom a big hug. Then I kind of forgot about my teammates. Then I just get back onto the pitch and we were celebrating, hugging, all that sort. And to be honest with you, like we've just been so busy as well. Like it's obviously an incredible achievement, but like because we're keep taking over, mm. I don't think it has time really to sink in yet. Like I know we're after winning the monster, but like I still don't even think it's something that we're county champions yet because we are so busy. So I say when we finally start to ease up a small bit, it will sink in. But after the final, it was incredible. Like again, so cliche, but like it's so hard to put into words. Like all the hurt and emotion kind of came out after the final whistle, and we're just it made it all sweeter, really. I think it speaks um, winning it this year after losing three in a row I think it speaks of the determination but also the inner belief that's grown in this group of players not just this year but over the past four or five years and with the players that were involved back in 2018 becoming All-Ireland champions and is that the key to it Ellen? I mean a lot of teams I've seen a lot of teams you know as well as I do and in the various Cork ladies football grades they get to a county final they lose it's incredibly difficult to get back to a final irrespective of the grade let alone get back after three losses like that and then to go on and win it it would have been very easy for you to just keep the celebrations and I saw the celebrations on social media they were well in swing in fairness to you. was it easy to flick the switch Ellen and go right we did it okay but we can do better here now we can actually make a cut off Munster was that discussed before the county final at any stage or obviously I know you didn't, you weren't trying to preempt things but how soon after the celebrations did you go right we have a chance here in Munster we need to knuckle down um, yeah I don't think like we didn't mention Munster at all this year at all um, now the only thing is is last kind of November time I knew the manager was appointed and I actually met Vince out that I think it was an underage county final and I said it to him I was like Vince this time next year we're going to still be playing football and you're going to be over us and here we are now so we kind of laugh about that but I think that's the only mention that we've ever had amongst the group as matches after the county final like we were just focusing on the county final this year and I think it was when we went back into the dressing room then we kind of started Right, there is a monster competition after this. And we kind of knew ourselves, I think we've always kind of said it, the hardest thing is to get out of Cork. Like the talent in Cork is massive as it is, like even standard loan, like you can see it, there's so many clubs that bring so much to the table. So I just think once we kind of got out of Cork, that was probably the biggest challenge. And after this as well, like there's everything's a bonus to us. Like it's not like our year is solely focusing on winning in All-Ireland. Like our focus was winning the county final this year. And anything after this is a bonus that we're more than happy to take. Um, and that kind of gives us a small bit of freedom that there's not that much pressure on us and that we can go out and play football and like we're kind of enjoying it that small bit more, if you will. But we're just, we're delighted that we have the Munster. And now we're going to look, we are talking about the All-Ireland, but we're going to take it one step at a time. The London game's the next game on our mind and we're not talking about anything further on from that as well. Yes, and uh, very wise uh, not to, as you well know, though, from down through the years. And just on that, Ali, I think it's it's obvious from listening to you that the momentum, one thing, whatever about momentum, you haven't had much time in between the games from winning the county into the Munster, getting to the Munster final, having that success. It's probably helped the squad. But talk to me about the part of the world where you're from in Glanmire that suffered all that flooding. Now, I know some of the pitches where you, where you work, you, you lost out in some, some pitch availability at one point. But for the supporters... Ali, I mean, like, there's been a lot of, obviously, worry and heartache in the part of the world where you're from because of all that flooding. How important was it that they had something to focus on, like your success, both at county level and then all the way through Munster? Yeah, definitely. It was devastating, um, without a doubt. I mean, it was horrendous to see some of the houses destroyed in the village. Um, but if, if anything, it drove us on more, I feel. And luckily enough, the, the Camogie girls are going strong too and the SARS lads did it as well, but... I suppose just as a community, we all really came together and focused on, focused on the small wins. It was devastating what happened and the fact that we probably maybe could have given a small bit of happiness to the village. 
um, after what happened was definitely a bonus. Yeah, that's interesting you mentioned that because I spoke, I was on the pitch after Sarah's won this year's uh, County Senior Camogie final over Shandoon and the players that I spoke to spoke very much like you just said there that, you know, it was a spur rather than, you know, something that was a, a deterrent, you know, it wasn't something that was playing in their minds, but the players were that bit more determined, Ali, that they wanted to do it, not just for themselves, but for the area and what they'd been through to give them that bit of happiness. It, it sounds so cliche, but it's actually true because anyone that's been through a flooding and anyone that knows anything about flooding, it's a horrific thing to have to go through, but ye have done something really special this year and I think off the back of so many disappointments you must it must have given players an extra boost to win it and then to see what the effect you, I've seen all the photographs of family members uh, running onto the pitch after the Monaghan Munster final and like all the happiness that she brought are you aware of that are you still so kind of focused and insular within your dressing room and you know one game at a time that you've had time to think about it um, yeah no look I suppose like kind of straight off that we would look at ourselves and we're delighted with ourselves but then Kind of as like on Sunday as we made our way through the crowd up to collect the trophy or whatever, we would have been bumping into people that have no family ties or connections to the team. Like they just come out because maybe they have kids on the underage and they're coming out and supporting. But then there's other people like our parish priest went to like Tipperary. He came to the Monster final. Like he's traveling to all the matches as well. So when you look at stuff like that to like our priest who has absolutely no connections family wise or anything like that and they're coming to the matches and they're getting so much joy out of it as well. It's not just the team and our immediate family that are affected by it in a good way because obviously they're delighted for us. It's the whole community that is really thriving off of it. And also as well, I do think it's really important to mention that like there's surrounding parishes around us that have helped us out when we were missing out on our pitches. Like Delaney's have been so good to give us pitches when we were out of action. I know Aaron's own and Glenville have been helping out the Sarah's girls as well. And I think the lads as well were getting black rap and Brian Dillon's. I'm not 100% certain now, but like it just goes to show like the GA is such a community as well. And like people were reaching out because they knew we had matches coming up. Like we're representing Cork, if you will, at the end of the day. And they wanted to make sure that we were right for our matches and they were offering up our pitches, their pitches for us. And we're just so, so grateful for that as well. Very well said, and I'm sure, as you said, you do see the community spirit off the pitch when things like this happen. It's lovely to hear that, not just for the uh, your own team, but all the surrounding teams as well. Um, Ali, the, the Munster final was eight points to 1-3. It was a fantastic day in the club's history, winning another Munster title, an intermediate Munster title, over a very, very dogged and very, very experienced Limerick club. At this point of the season, much like the men's uh, Munster championships, in football anyway, the scores start coming down. It becomes more contracted. You don't have the free-flowing football that you might have had in the group stage of your county championship success. How different was that county final in terms of setup, in terms of tactics, and in terms of you know not giving anything silly away? I mean, you held this team to one three, and that took a huge defensive effort. Yeah, well, like I've mentioned before, we knew it was going to be a tough game, um, but I think one of the key things was not to change too much about the style that we were playing because it was working for us. You know, if, if something's not broken, don't fix it. But we knew that we would definitely have to tweak to suit their style of play. Um, like we were down by three points at half time, and we 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 came off at half time actually, and we we weren't overly pleased with how we were performing. So we knew that 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 was a good sign that we were lucky enough up. And if anything, it pushed us to drive on in the second half and get it off the line. But definitely the the scores. A lot of them came from freeze as well on both sides. So it just goes to show how hard it is to actually get in there went from the play and score from the play, which is, is a tribute to both defenders on both teams, I would say. And uh, yeah, again, that's very well, very well put. And considering it, that was such a tight game and all the excitement that came afterwards with it, Ellen, now you go to London. You got to get on a plane. You got to fly to London to play at Tyrconnell Gales on Saturday, November twenty fifth, in an All Ireland uh, quarter final. There was a lot of excitement, obviously, about that. A lot of younger players, especially on the panel, are going to really enjoy that. But again, this is the thing. You're, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of hype. We're talking about it here on the radio. We're talking about it on, on Cork Street FM. But you have a match to win. And, you know, you've come so far, obviously the focus of the players will be just on going over there, getting the job done and coming home. But a lot of excitement and a huge, um, a huge moment for a lot of the younger players on your panel specifically, that the experience they're gaining this year, not just from the run in the county and, you know, getting that monkey off your backs, but winning a provincial title and maybe, just maybe going a bit further in the All-Ireland Series. How important is that? But how important is it that you get to London and you do the job? Yeah, I know it's crucial. And like, as you said, like we do have a very young panel. Um, like the excitement might kick in, people might take their eye off the ball when it comes to the match. But 
I don't think that will happen. Like a lot, like amongst our team, like all year we've been building a panel, so everyone feels so part of it. Like one, like we're chopping and changing our team the whole time. If you're not starting in a county final, you'd be starting in the Munster quarter final, and then you might find yourself starting in a Munster final if you haven't started all year. Like it's just mad that we just have such a good panel that we can slash anyone in, and we have thirty odd players there as well. But because we're after developing such a panel, we have so many leaders as well on the pitch and stuff like that. So that, like, we kind of take one of the younger girls under a wing, if you will, and we'll kind of look out for them that way. And, like, we have such a professional management team as well that they have a, a routine sorted out. Like, it's not kind of going to be wishy-washy. They're going to have an agenda sorted for us. And they're not, like, they. this will be on their mind as well that, look, we're traveling, we have a different routine than we're not used to, and they're going to make sure that we're, like, focused on the game and we know what's ahead of us. And, like, yeah, we are traveling to London and... Um, there'd be a couple of Irish girls over there playing and stuff like that and it mightn't be their first sport over in England but we, we can't go out with that attitude we have to go out with it it's the team that's going to beat us it's going to go down to the wire and we have to go out and perform or we're not going to come back with the result so it's hugely important that we get our focus right we know it's going to be a tough game ahead of us and hopefully if that is the case we'll regroup and then we'll have a week in between the quarter and the semi-final hopefully but again London's primary focus it certainly is and Ali we uh, we mentioned Vincey Barry just in fleetingly uh, there a while back uh, early on in the conversation but from your point of view and somebody that had been through an all-earning success in 2018 how how much of an influence obviously they're a big influence but the management team of Vincey Barry coming in this year and, and galvanising the, the troops to go on this run how important have they been and how, how easy I mean it's a difficult job for them to pick you up after three county final losses and build again but they've obviously done a fantastic job Ali but how important have they been for ye the experienced players and also the not so experienced players yeah, well, like it's with it, they've been so professional, and I feel like the spec the specialization this year has just been incredible. Like we have Vincey, who's the manager, uh, Connor is our coach. Then we have a running coach who's Damien. Uh, we have a kicking coach, Jamesy, and we have a goalie coach, Billy. And then we have uh, physio Esther. Like, and I suppose just like we've never had anything like that before. So just that side of the profession, the professional side of that, I suppose, really stood to us this year that. If any of us were struggling in one particular area, we knew we could go to that was specialising in that area to improve us. Um, and I do think that really usually helped us this year in regards to all round playing on the pitch, not just focusing on one particular element. Jerome, after getting one of the most important men, Sully O'Sullivan, there also a huge selector part of our team, and I, I couldn't leave him out. So sorry to backtrack on that one. Not at all. I mean, if we forgot Sully, we'd all be in big trouble. He'd be after me as well. So fair play. <laughs> uh, you, and, and with so many people to thank, this happens all the time. No problem at all, Ali. And look, it's fantastic. It's been a fantastic story. It's been a fantastic season for Clanmore Ladies Football. We've enjoyed here on Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench following your success, both winning the Cork LGFA Senior or Cork LGFA Intermediate County title, winning the Munster Intermediate County title, and now flying out on Saturday, November the 25th to London to take on Tyr Connell Gales in the All Ireland Intermediate Quarter finals um, this journey didn't just begin this year it began back in 2018 when you won the All-Ireland and since then all that heartbreak with the three finals that's all done and put away but now it's in the history books you've had a fantastic run and from everybody here of course Red FM's Big Red Bench we wish you all the luck in London hopefully you can get that victory bring it home and keep this season going but we really appreciate the time thank you Ellen Toomey and thank you Ali McCarthy for joining us here on the Big Red Bench Welcome back to the Big Red Bench with me, Sarah McKenzie Foley. Let's get you a quick score update from the WSL because the final whistle has just gone at Old Trafford and it is Manchester City who have won that game three goals to one. There's lots of celebrations happening on the pitch here. That's a, a very big win for City. It's looking good for Novak Djokovic, meanwhile, in his match against Yannick Sinner. He has won the first set and he's currently leading in the second set. So we'll see if we can get you a uh, an updated score towards the end of the show as well. Now, I mentioned in my intro that we have a treat of an interview for you on today's show. And that's because earlier this week, Rory got a chance to speak to broadcaster, entertainer, snooker commentator and billiards player, Angus McAnally and that's because Angus will be in Cork this week for two exhibitions with 12-time world billiards champion David Causier and on Friday is going to be the first one we're going to have that in for Moy CMWS and then the second match you're looking at the Crucible Snooker Club in Cork City tickets are available for those on ticketstop.ie 
Now, Rory has been speaking to Angus about those exhibitions, but also about the good old days of Irish snooker masters in Goffs and plenty more besides. So let's have a listen. Now, I am delighted to be joined on the line by the voice of Irish snooker, billiards player extraordinaire and all-round entertainment legend, Mr. Angus McAnally. Angus, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you, sir. Thanks a million for talking to us today. A pleasure, Rory. Nice, nice to hear you, and th- thank you very much for that very flowery introduction. If I'm if I'm half as good as I sound, I'd be delighted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will be, boy. You're all right. Um, yeah, the voice of Irish snooker. I'll get back to that in a bit because, like, I really want to talk to you about goffs and all that a little bit later on. But uh, Dave Causier is going to be in Cork next week, the twelve-time world champion and uh, an absolute legend of the sport, Angus. He's an amazing, amazing player. I started playing billiards when I was 13 or 14. My dad had been a billiard player and his dad before him, so we kind of handed down the cue from one generation to the next. And what I love about billiards is you can play it at any age. I mean, I, I was an Irish champion at 16 and then I stopped playing for maybe 20, 30 years. Yeah. And I think there are very few sports where you can pick it back up and be at international level. It's an incredible game. But just to put in context how good Dave Cosier is, um, all of the other sort of professional snooker players that I've met him, regard him as the Ronnie O'Sullivan of billiards uh, I would score in an hour maybe 250 280 points in a really good day or whatever that's playing over the hour when Dave comes to my house because I, I do an awful lot of work with him and I kind of do sports coaching the mental side is game for him psychology or whatever but he gives me 400 points of a handicap <laughs> in an hour for starters and I have yet to beat him I think I beat him once when I managed to put in like a 70 break in the first 10 minutes but he's, he can score anything up to 15 20 points a minute it's just extraordinary I mean uh, we were at the world championships in Singapore last year and he was actually about a thousand points in a two hour match beyond what everybody else was scoring so anybody who comes to see us in Formoy or in the Crucible in Cork you're going to see a guy who can make century breaks for sport and I mean he's he's made 300, 400, 500 breaks um, and it's just extraordinary the speed he thinks that that's why I liken him to kind of Ronnie O'Sullivan he gets down on the shot and knows exactly what he wants to do and even there are only three balls on the table the red a yellow and a white what you watch him do and his control and his precision and his potting it's stunning so I'd really strongly advocate anybody who's any interest in Q sports you're looking at one of the greatest players ever to pick up a Q and he's going to be in in Formoy Cork? Yeah, he's in Formoy CYMS on the 24th uh, the Crucible Club on the 25th only 40 tickets for each night as well Angus so it's uh, going to be a very intimate event yeah, and that's, that's the amazing thing is that you get to, like, if you think about it, why I love snooker billiards and playing it so much is that you don't get to go on the football field with Ronaldo, uh, you know, or Arsenal or Man United or Chelsea, whoever, Liverpool, whoever your favourite players are. But in billiards and in snooker, particularly with pro-ams and exhibitions, you can actually get to play against a guy like that. So, yeah. I mean, and it's such an up-close and experience. It's remarkable because, I mean, the television kind of elongates everything. You think, oh, that's not the same. But when you're, when you're actually two or three feet away from watching somebody, their cue action, their grip, their stance, the thought process, it is fantastic. And of course, during the course of the night, um, we'll be doing a Q&A and also we'll be explaining the shots and getting Dave to just demonstrate how to play them correctly, how to play them incorrectly or how people play them incorrectly. So it's both informative, it's entertaining. I mean, obviously, I've been doing snooker commentary and billiards commentary for 30 more years or whatever and we've a bit of fun, we've a bit of crack. Um, it's an entertaining like, but it's also you are in the presence of greatness. It, yeah. it is what a what an opportunity to stand. It's like I mean I I remember spending good money to go and see Frank Sinatra play in Dublin because I wanted to say I I saw him live up close to personal and in the same way you're going to be looking at a multiple world champion doing what he does the highest quality it's just an extraordinary experience yeah I've been watching some uh, videos this morning of Dave and I was uh, watching the world championship final between himself and uh, Peter Gilchrist now unfortunately Dave came out on the wrong side of that one but uh, Dave and Peter have dominated the sport over the last number of years Angus 
Yes, indeed. Peter, who's uh, funny enough, they're both based, uh, they both come from a lovely part of northeast England. Um, they're kind of semi Geordie lads there uh, from Middlesbrough. And they're, it's amazing. There was a young junior league about 30 years ago, and it spawned Dave Cosner and Peter Gilchrist and Mike Russell and a guy called Chris Schultz. Um, and they've gone on to dominate the sport worldwide for many, many years. Um, it's funny, um, Peter got the, uh, beat Dave recently, and it was the first time that he'd beaten Dave in four or five meetings um, they've been travelling the world playing against each other whatever yeah. but at their level it's extraordinary um, one mistake and you could be sitting down for 25, 30, 40 minutes while your opponent makes like a three or a four hundred break. Yeah. So, you know, if you think of two fellas having a game of snooker in, in, in the local club and they might get 40 or 50 chances per frame, but not, not on this level. Uh, you make a mistake by Jingo, do you pay, pay for it? You know, so that's why um, they play an awful lot of safety as well. But I mean, David had a couple of incredible results. I remember watching him against uh, Rob Hall, another guy from England, and Rob was 450 points ahead with a I think 25 minutes to go. Now, as I said to you, I score maybe 250 yeah. in an hour. So there's 25 minutes left. Rob was 400 something ahead, uh, 385 ahead. Dave got in and cleaned out, just held the table and won that match. He also won another game where he was 187 behind with, I think, seven minutes left as he won. And it's just phenomenal. Like It's, it's yeah. like, to me, it's the equivalent of walking across uh, Niagara Falls on a tightrope with no safety <laughs> You, you cannot afford one slip or you're gone the game is yeah, over yeah. Um, but if you want to see good breaks played quickly um, and just expertise it's just like recently um, I'm also doing some exhibitions with Sean Murphy the, the world snooker champ and recently in in Harrogate in England uh, myself Dave Cosier and Sean had a session together uh, an exhibition and it was fascinating uh, much as I thought would happen um, Sean beat Dave 4-0 in the snooker <laughs> but Dave beat 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 Sean Murphy 300 nil in a game <laughs> it was it was extraordinary and then they had a shootout which was hilarious yeah, yeah. and actually Sean won the shootout on the, the blue ball game and the long enough mm. but that's the level of, of expertise that you're seeing and so I, I just think it's it's unfortunate that people don't know Dave Cosier's name because he is a Sean Murphy or a Ronnie O'Sullivan or a John Higgins he is off that level in the world you know? Yeah that's actually um, something I wanted to ask you Angus because um, I suppose White Billiards isn't out there in the, I suppose the wider sporting scene so much because uh, I was watching that world final and the uh, the co-commentator Jason Colbrook who is the managing director of World Billiards suggested that compared to snooker it's 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 not as exciting to watch that when the balls are down the end of the table it can get uh, a bit repetitive is that fair? It is fair I'm, I'm on the board with Jason the six of us who run billiards around the world and I'm, I'm there's myself here in Ireland there's uh, um, Chris Coombe and Darren Clark in England uh, Paul Collier the wonderful uh, snooker referee is also on the board and you've a guy in Scotland uh, Jim Burke and then Jason who's based in Singapore and one of the problems is that when it's played beautifully the, the control needed to control the balls is phenomenal yeah. but they, they can get the balls down to what's called top of the table where you have the red is, is on what people would know as the black spot we call it the billiard spot and they put their opponent's ball just behind that on the cushion and with a series of little shots with incredible control you can keep the balls there so to a certain extent you're not seeing a lot happening but what happens is anybody who's ever held a cue and you know trying to stun the red stun the cue ball hold the white where you want it you realise this is so flipping difficult (laughs) but it can be repetitive there's a sequence of shots that continue to repeat themselves um, and, and and yes, it is one of the. It used to be two whites and a red, and then to try and make it a bit more exciting, uh, visually exciting for people watching, uh, we changed one of the whites to a yellow. So that's why one person plays with the yellow, one person plays with the white, and the red is obviously common. But I suppose because there are only three balls in it, on the one hand, people say it's you know it's more difficult than snooker or easier, uh, but you only have that choice of those two balls to play with at all times. So the control needed is exquisite. But I absolutely agree. One of the things we started doing now in World Billiards is rather than having big long games of like two hours or an hour and a half or a 500 points match or a 1000 points match, we've started now to have games, we call them rather than frames, games of billiards of 100 points so you'd have a best of five 100 point games or uh, you know, but what actually happens and this is where I just find it 
bonkers. Uh, I would break off against Dave when, when he's practicing near the house. So I break off. I leave the ball safe. It's my opinion. He makes the cannon and makes a hundred. We say next game, okay. So then he breaks off. I try to get the cannon. I miss, and he makes a hundred. You know? so but it, it is that level of expertise which yeah. is just invigorating to watch. You know, like Sean Murphy stood and watched uh, Dave screw the full length of the table, making his pots, getting his cannons, and he said, "Look, what I do is brilliant." He said, "But this is equal." brilliant I can't do what Dave does and Dave it's funny I love the respect that they have as world champions Dave rang me the day after we did the exhibition with Sean in Harrogate and he said you know something watching Sean up close last night I realised I can't even hold a cue I have no cue action and this is from a multiple <laughs> world champion because Sean is so silky smooth just back and through it's extraordinary yeah, you know? yeah like I said I guess I'm a big snooker fan but I have to admit I'm, I'm completely ignorant as to the rules of billiards could you give us a quick go overview of the rules. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a simple game. What would be a foul in snooker where you, you hit a ball and your cue ball goes into the pocket where that's a foul, that is absolutely a score. That's called an in-off. That, that's a, 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 that is a score. And you get on the red, you get three points for going in-off or potting the red. And you get two points for everything else. If you go in-off your opponent's ball numbers, if your cue ball hits, if you're the white and you hit the yellow and your white goes into the pocket, that's a, a two-point uh, score and you get the ball back in your hand. And the other way of scoring is a cannon, which is where if you're the white, your ball hits the other two balls. So your white hits the yellow and goes over and hits the red or hits the red and goes over and hits the yellow. So it's a combination of cannons, pots and in-offs um, that make the game beautiful. So you only ever have the three balls. So what I love about it and what I think is great and I I've advocated this to snooker players all my life. You get to know the angles going around the cushions to make cannons, which is brilliant for snooker players to know how to escape from snookers or to actually lay a snooker. Uh, you get to know how the ball will react off the cushion with a bit of side and you can come around three or four. So I'm like when I'm playing snooker, uh, 95%, I'll say this at the risk of beating myself up, <laughs> 95% of the time I will escape from a snooker because I just absolutely see the angle and I just yeah. imagine that I'm playing a cannon that I've played off one red, I have to come around three cushions and hit the other ball. And so it's brilliant for getting snookers, laying snookers and getting out of them. So, But that's basically a cannon or a pot or an in-off is how you score at billiards. Yeah, I have to say, like I was completely engrossed in that Causer and Gilchrist match today and I'm certainly going to make it my mission to, to watch more billiards in the future. Um, there's a version of billiards as well, Angus, where there's no pockets. Yes, there's Karam uh, playing a lot in Europe, in Belgium and yeah. in Austria. And that's where you can have, there's a couple of different forms. Of it. One is that you simply make a cannon, i.e. your ball hits the other two balls. But there's also three cushion Karam, which is fantastic, in that your, 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 your cue ball, after it hits one of the balls, it must then travel to at least three cushions before it hits the other ball. Uh, and the skill set in that is yeah. just phenomenal. But uh, you see a lot of deep thinkers like chess players who are working it out. And, <laughs> but also now the, the, the tables, the carom tables, have the thinnest possible cloth and the balls run, they're much bigger balls, and they run forever. So there are lots of times when you see what you think is the ball going to stop about eight feet away and it just keeps coming and keeps yeah. coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. <laughs> but certainly if you Google Dave Causer um, uh, in full flow, you'll see lots, lots of... Uh, videos where he's making and World Billiards uh, World Billiards Limited WBL we have our own uh, YouTube channel and you'll see incredible breaks there of four, five, six hundred or whatever it's just extraordinary you know? yeah. but the Goff, you were talking about Goffs earlier on um, all of that I mean I would be mixing a lot with the snooker players I was up in Belfast with the, with the gang for the recent Northern Ireland the home international and they just talk so fondly of their memories of Goffs being the perfect venue yeah. for snooker and I, Sean and myself have a meeting now uh, next week to try and see about can we get a full professional tournament back onto the into the Republic of Ireland onto the island yeah. of Ireland you know? yeah I think my love of snooker comes from Goss because back in the day when we only had two channels snooker on RT was like it was a big deal and of course, uh, you were the voice of that. So your voice is part of my, my formative love for the sport, really. Um, you must have seen some incredible matches down the years. Oh, everything from the Steve Davis winning it three times in a row, uh, um, 
Terry Griffiths winning three times in a row. I was also there the, the famous night that Alex Higgins and Dennis Taylor had the potential big bust-up where uh, poor old Alex, who was his own worst enemy and was, you know, had a self-destruct button, which was terrible for somebody <laughs> with such talent. But basically, he had, uh, in advance of the match, had had a row with Dennis and had sort of threatened that he would have Dennis's mother shot. No, it's not Shouldn't exactly laugh. the yeah. best way to walk out there and shake hands going, hope you have a great game, you know. Um, so uh, Alex was one of one. I mean, he, there was the famous incident where he went out and, and decided to relieve himself uh, into a flower pot backstage or whatever in full view of lots of other people, you know. But Kevin, um, um, Kevin Norton, who used to run the events, was an incredible tournament director and he had a brilliant idea which was if you look after the players they will look after you so he always treated them royally had them collected at the airport um, a load of guys who worked in the, the army on uh, in the Curra uh, took two weeks off to be his his mind his sort of uh, roadies or whatever and they they were in a little army of guys uh, making sure everybody was collected dropped back to the hotel they were really looked after well and as a result they did all the meet and greet there was a hospitality every night before the matches or whatever and they do signings and whatever and it was a brilliant brilliant but also the venue itself even though it's a a, a venue for selling horses yeah. because it was in the round because it had three stories in it you could have a thousand people and the atmosphere there for the final Finals were just incredible because everybody was felt they were within touching distance of the. It's not like a big venue where the seats go back and back and back and out. at the end you're kind of looking down at a dot somewhere. Everybody was equally distant from the uh, from the table and it was just fantastic. You know, and also we had the seniors there um, eighteen months ago um, with Ken and Stephen Hendry and Ronnie O'Sullivan and John Virgo, Dennis Taylor. So and they were just going on and on about how wonderful those days were and the sing song. Well, legendary, you know, it was brilliant. Yeah, even just talking, you know, and getting flashbacks to that intro team, it was um, kind of saxophony, trumpety, kind of a jazzy thing, and I can't remember the name of it, I must find it out, and uh, the intro video as well, the, the images, uh, the, the, the balls just uh, being potted. Yep, yeah, um, brilliant. And Ronan Collins used to do MC on a lot. Yeah. And then myself and Terry Griffiths and John Pullman, who was a world champion, um, we, we would do the commentary uh, and just wonderful matches. And, and what I loved about um, Goff and the Irish Masters, the Benson Hedges Irish Masters, was it was an invitational tournament. So you had two or three wild cards and you had eight or nine of the, the, the top guys in the world. But, I mean, some of the wild cards might have been Jimmy White when he was, if he was took going down the rankings or whatever. But you were guaranteed that every single match was going to be a real humdinger of a world champion or somebody who was in the top eight or whatever. And then, of course, you had Ken Doherty locally, and uh, it, it was amazing. And I think the downfall of the tournament, I think when it moved to being a standard ranking tournament where everybody could win and get through, you ended up having a couple of boring matches with two names that nobody knew but who played very well yeah. but they weren't a tournament draw they weren't showbiz they weren't engaging with the audience and they, they, also there was good money there so it was really important to them to win the match and they would stick at it for hours and hours with safety and like <laughs> what people wanted to see was big breaks a bit of flamboyant yeah. um, nothing as mad as, as, as Alex Higgins but you know what I mean you, you wanted a bit, a bit of emotion and energy you know yeah certainly so yeah uh, yeah uh, I'm not going to keep it too much longer Angus um, we are recording this on Thursday morning, but you are playing in Austria this weekend. Yes, I'm heading to Ireland, to Austria in the morning for the Four Nations, which is Ireland, uh, England, Northern Ireland, and Austria, an eight-man team, and it's it moves around into one of the different territories each year. So every four years, Ireland would host it, then Northern Ireland, then England, and then Austria. Uh, it's a great it's a great format. We play two different formats. We play an hour and a half. Uh, matches for just the 90 minutes and whoever's ahead at yeah. the end of the 90 minutes and also then we play uh, games of 150 points um, two of those games uh, whoever you know you can get a point for one game if you win both you get two points or there could be shared points uh, and it's it's a wonderful o- occasion that I've uh, my dress suit ready and my dicky bow <laughs> but I tell you one thing I've been performing on stage doing concerts and gigs for 
for years and years and years and put me out in front of 2,000 people on a big theatre and I absolutely love it. Yes. When I put on the Irish waistcoat, my arms go to jelly when the, the, the sense of importance of the pride that you have for playing for your country, it is immense. And like, I, I really have to work hard to keep my confidence up and keep, you know, <laughs> and I'm a really confident guy who loves the public and loves doing it. But the enormity, I keep thinking of... Um, people having a putt to win. Bernard Langer missed a putt to, to win the, the uh, Ryder Cup for Europe and he basically lost it by not getting the putt. And it took him two years or more to recover from that, you know? Yeah. And you do feel that sense of enormity that if say, say if it boils down to your match, if we win this, we win. If you lose, we lose, you know? And God, <laughs> it's, but it's, it is with great pride that I put on the Irish waistcoat and fly the flag. I love it. Yeah, finally, just getting back to the event next week, Angus. Um, will you have your guitar with you and uh, will you have your deck of cards with you? I will certainly bring the guitar and a deck of cards with me. We do a little bit of magic, a bit of music, a bit of entertainment and the highest quality billiards you could ever imagine. And even if you're not a billiards player or a billiards lover, come along and watch a genius playing. That's David Causer, not me. <laughs> and to see, see true artistry, century breaks and just shots for you. I mean, the amount of people have said to me they were speechless watching Dave when, yeah. when they see him in action up close. It is on a different, different level. I brought him to one club in Dublin um, a couple of months ago and he, he was in the middle of a 200 break, a 300 break and I said, that's stay tuned. You may, some, you may see the rarest of rare things. He may get as far as 500 and it turns out he made a 515 and in the next break he made a 580 and they said, I thought you said it was difficult to get a 500. I said, it is, it is for <laughs> Actually, the World Billiards website says that Peter Gilchrist is your, your magic rival on the scene. Is that true? And Peter, Peter loves magic as well, and we often tell yeah. stories when we're together, and that we've great times talking about it. There, and I tell you one thing: you love about billiard players. There, and um, if it's if this is fair to say, they're even nicer than snooker players. Everybody who's ever played billiards will find that when they lose a match or whatever, their opponent will say, "Well done, that was great. You know when you played that shot? Maybe try this one, and here's how you played that shot better." You'd never get that in snooker. Fellas will win, shake hands, and walk off. But, you yeah. know, they, they've no interest in you, but it's brilliant. <laughs> All right, Angus McAnally, it has been my absolute pleasure talking to you today, sir. Uh, you'll be in Fomoy on Friday night in the CYMS on Friday and the Crucible on Saturday. Angus, I've thoroughly enjoyed our chat. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you, sir. Great to talk to you, Roy. Wow, what a, what a fascinating chat there between Rory and Angus. And as Rory was saying just during that conversation, he couldn't quite remember the music from the opening of the Irish Masters snooker coverage on RT. The good news is he did a bit of digging and it's called Song for My Father by the Harris Silver Quintet and it comes from an album of the same name which was released in January of 1965 on Blue Note Records. So there's a fun fact for you. We're going to play a quick uh, clip of it here and we'll see if it triggers any memories for any of you. Unfortunately, I don't have time for a whole lot of Formula One on today's show because we have had such a jam-packed show. However, if you were up with the dawn like I was this morning to watch the Las Vegas Grand Prix live, make sure you tune into the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast for a full review with myself and Jer McCarthy during the week. That'll be out on Thursday at noon. But as I say, we had a jam-packed show, so that's all we have time for this evening. But thank you so much for tuning in to The Big Red Bench with myself, Sarah McKenzie Foley. If you missed any of today's show or if you want to listen back to the podcast, that's going to be available later this evening. You can find it on redfm.ie or wherever you scream your podcasts. And Green and Red is up next, so have a great rest of your evening.